You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. Everybody good? Had enough coffee? Or if you're not a coffee drinker, whatever it is you do, You're that much more dependent upon the Lord if you don't drink coffee. You're just doing better than I am, I'll just tell you. Um, I like the coffee. A couple quick announcements, and then we'll roll right into what I'm going to talk about today. But uh, students leave for camp this week, and so pray for those guys, especially pray for the chaperones. Okay, I... And actually, I will be tagging along. This will be the first time I've done anything youth ministry for several years. So I'm very stressed, okay? Um, I'm like, I'm going to have to start drinking Mountain Dew again and all the old habits I used to do to be able to keep up, but I don't think it's going to work. So just pray for all of us going on that trip. Uh, Rita's going with us. So she's probably more stressed than I am because I don't know how long it's been since she's done this kind of thing, but Rita's going and Tony's going and Travis and Carrie. And so you can imagine it's going to be a great time. Um, June 10th is the Lord's Supper service. That evening at 6.30 we'll have uh, a special time that night of just having what some of you may know as communion together, but the Lord's Supper and just taking those... uh, the, the body and the blood of Christ symbolically through the bread uh, and the juice. So just hope you're, you'll be there for that and understand how important that is for a Christian, a born-again believer, to take part in that. Um, it's, it's one of two ordinances of the church, so it's something we should cherish very much as uh, Christians who follow Jesus Christ when he said, do this, so we should do that and not neglect it. Um, Also, Class 101, if you're interested in knowing more about our church, how we function, what we believe, maybe joining our church, that's a class you take to join, but it's also the class that you would take just to to know more about TCAR if you want to just sit in on the class. That will be August 5th. We're going to do it a little different this time. We're going to do it during the morning service, and I'll tell you the location when we get closer to that time. But while someone's preaching, and we will have a service in here, Uh, We'll be doing class 101, the new members class, uh, at the same time so that there's child care, there's all kinds of things available for you. It'll be a shorter class. And a lot of you are like, man, I've already joined. That's a ripoff because I had to sit through the two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour version. So uh, some of you are getting bitter right now. I see it on your faces. But um, we're just improving. We're getting better, okay? Also, summer service is coming up. There's some of you that are going to be so happy this morning because after last Sunday, you came to me and were like, you know that 5K thing you were talking about uh, and us serving in that, maybe a group of us getting together, running in it or walking in it. I'm not doing that. I'm just going to, I'll like hand somebody a cup of water or register them. I'm not running or walking. Well, they're not doing the 5K this year. So some of you are like, oh, yes. You know, so we won't be serving that, but we'll find some other ways to serve at the Tomato Festival. Uh, and we're doing our service there this year. We've been given the, the Sunday morning service at the Tomato Festival, so we will be there uh, that Sunday morning uh, at the Tomato Festival. 
Some of you might get together instead of doing the 5K, you can say, hey, we'll do the, we'll be the T-Car Tomato War team, and you'll enter and throw sling tomatoes at each other, okay? Be our David against the Goliath of other tomato slinging teams. Um, so maybe that. There's also all kinds of summer service stuff we've put back there for you to sign up on. These are people, this, our small groups that have said these are the, some of the things we're doing. There's many more to come that will be added to that back there. But there's things like helping Kingswood organize their clothes closet, um, tomato festival, taking food to the um, police. The, they set up a command center down there to run all the, the security for the tomato festival, the EMS workers, um, rescue squad, all that. It's down there. We feed them during the tomato. Uh, the chaplains do that do what the chaplains do as you know some of us do that and so we're asking people to come on board and just help cook food and serve and and take care of those guys while they're there taking care of everybody else lakeway habitat for humanities back there there's a project there nursing home we'll do some meals for the employees there is back there so all kinds of ways you can serve because we don't do small groups in summer we just say hey we want to blitz our community and just serve like crazy and put into action all the stuff we learn throughout the year and do that together. So those kind of things are back there. That's the announcements, and we'll roll on this morning with the message. So, um, But pumped about summer service projects being here. That's going to be really exciting. exciting. Um, but we'll have maybe two more installments in the series we're in called By Faith, where we've looked at Hebrews 11, at all the people listed in Hebrews 11, that it says, hey, by faith, these guys, heroes of the Old Testament that did these things, they, they had faith in God, acted in obedience, and saw God do amazing, wonderful things and, and seen his power displayed in their lives because uh, how great God is, and they just had faith in, in his promises and just were obedient to what he said to do. So maybe two more installments, possibly look at Samuel and then Daniel, and then be done with that series for the next two weeks. But today we're going to look at one of the most probably well-known Old Testament stories. It's something you, if you grew up in church, it's the flannel board, you know, David and Goliath story in Sunday school or in your children's class or whatever that you've heard so many times. Um, but it's it's one of those Old Testament heroes that's it's not just uh, a story of faith, but it's a conflicting story of it's 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 man he did so good for a while and then what happened you know and, and and such great tragedy and so david we see him early on as this valiant warrior who takes on goliath and and stands up basically for god's name and becomes a great king an astounding leader does amazing things and yet as a king becomes this guy who commits adultery, murder, deception, and it's yet he's referred to as a man after God's own heart. How is that? And he becomes this guy that's listed in Hebrews 11 who is an example of living by faith. And today we're going to look at both of those sides real briefly. But many years ago, 16 years ago, basically, when we started, when God uh, gave the vision, equipped, uh, led us, graced us to start this church. There was a book that we all read. I don't know if any of you, uh, how many of you were here back when we organized at Quarryton and we went through that book in a community in that community group there. Uh, 
just raise your hand real quick. Okay, several of you still here. Okay, do you remember the book and the campaign we were going through back then? Purpose Driven Life, right? And uh, some of you are like, oh man, I've heard so much about that. I'm sick of it over the years. But it's it, it was a very foundational study for us as a church because I had read The Purpose Driven Church by Rick Warren that kind of propelled me into helping me understand church planting a whole lot. And so we read that and then this book came along and we read it among other key books. If you want to know what kind of the heart, you know, obviously the Bible is our foundation, but if you want to know more about kind of our thinking and and things that shaped us as a church when we started Purpose Driven Life is a great book to read. There's one called Gospel According to Jesus uh, by John MacArthur and of course Purpose Driven Church like I said and then if you want if you if you ever want to do a study experiencing God is is just one of those foundational things that uh, was there at the start of our of us being together was instrumental in a lot of our lives but the the first line of the Purpose Driven Life book says, it's not about you, right? Good place to start, right? If you're going to understand anything about God and, and what where we stand with Him and what's going on in the world in reality, okay? And this morning, the story from the Bible we're going to read is so often misapplied. It, it's so often this allegory that is is so twisted and it's it's David and Goliath is not a story about you overcoming uh, your problems your giants in your life and 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 you just taking off and going after it yourself and 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 overcoming these great odds okay it's it's an inspiring story that makes us go there right like yeah I'm gonna get my five smooth stones and head out to to take on the Goliaths in my life, you know. But but that's misapplied. And let's get the background and explain, and then we'll look at this giant slaying man of faith in light of his sin and wrongdoing as well. Um, Give you a little background before we get to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to look at a lot of 1 Samuel 17 and then skip over to 2 Samuel. Um, But Samuel, who we'll talk about next week, comes to David's father's house, okay, this prophet, having been told by God, Samuel gets this gets word from God, hey, David's going to be the next king, okay? And th- we can get into a whole discussion about Israel having kings and how that came about, and it was really out of their own brokenness and sin and wanting an earthly king, but Jesus is the real king, but God uses that to, to help in his plan and, and establishing things. But this whole king thing over Israel came out of just the brokenness and sin of the people, wanting a human earthly king to rule over them instead of just following God. And so Samuel, having been told this, he goes to to Jesse's house, David's father's house, where David and his brothers are living. And so he tells Jesse, your son's going to be the next king. David's going to be king. And and shortly after that, a war breaks out, and they go to battle with uh, the the Philistines. And and the the three older brothers go off to battle because they're big, strong, burly guys, and David's kind of young and puny, and it refers to him that way in in the story. He's young, and he's like the, the youngest, right? 
So he's kind of the the runt of the litter. I mean, he stays back to tend the sheep and help dad because dad's getting up there in years. It talks about that later, and he's not doing so well himself. And so he stays back to take care of dad and the farm. And First Samuel 17 gets into the battle, and the Philistines are on one mountain on one side. There's a big valley between them, and, and the, is, the army of Israel is on the other side on a mountain. And this giant of a man, this Philistine, comes out every day just tormenting and mocking and calling out the, the Israelites and their army. And so in 1 Samuel 17, where we'll pick up verse 4, it says, Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Goth, whose height was six cubits in a span. Okay, And if you do research on that, you'll get anywhere from 9 foot 9 to like 10 foot 9, depending on how you figure what a cubit was at that time. Okay, It's a really big guy. Okay, I think in one of our children's room, there's a marker on a pole back there that's got a got a picture of what you think Goliath would look like, like up there, so you can see like how tall that is. It's big. I wouldn't want to fight him. Okay, he's bigger than Andre the Giant. Okay, I got to get the '80s reference. I did it. Okay, um, so here this big man, he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, which has something to do with a loom and the, the thing that it all wraps around and all this stuff, which comes out to two inches wide by 10 foot long. Okay, So it's pretty big around and 10 feet long. That's a big spear. Okay. And the head of the spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. Most things I read said 15 pounds. Just the tip of the spear is 15 pounds. One said 19, but the 15 sounded like it was more accurate. His shield carrier also walked before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? He's like, Why do you all even show up? Why do you even put your stuff on like you're going to do battle? Because you're not going to do battle because you're scared of me, right? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if we prevail, if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and service. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So one day, so there there they are, this guy, this Philistine, who's huge, calls him out. If you know the story, David shows up with a care package, you know, for the military guys, for his brothers, right? Um, couldn't send it by FedEx or Pony Express. None of that was there. So he just goes, takes it himself, you know, and it's got like all their favorite snacks in it, some Slim Jims and all that kind of stuff. And he just, he brings this thing down here, this care package to him. It was like cheese and bread, I think. You know, it's maybe it was cheese bread. I don't know. It's, it's, it's whatever they love, okay? And so he's bringing them some special food just for them. And he overhears this challenge going on from, the, from this giant of a man and, and, and can't believe. He sees all of his brothers, all of the Israelites run and hide. And, and they're just, they won't come out, and they're shaking in their boots. And David says, who is this? I can imagine what this terminology would be like today, but we won't go there. 
but he like calls this, he's like looking around going, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Who does he think he is? Okay. And so 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 31, it says, when the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man, man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. He's like, You're a shepherd boy. This guy's been trained as a warrior all his life, and he's a huge adult, and you're just like a teenager, and you've never even been trained to fight. Okay? He's like, You can't do this. But David said to Saul, and this is where the, the big track of faith for David is really seen, especially early on. And just so you understand, he doesn't really lose that. He just has some sin to deal with later. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Okay. And so here he's, he's saying, it's not me. He's coming against the Lord, and I'm just going to be his tool, his instrument he uses to do this. Verse 41 says, Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine took, looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy. I don't know what ruddy means. I didn't look that one up, but... That sounds like a new Granger. That might be an old Granger County word. He just ruddy. Okay? That's some Appalachian American stuff right there. With a handsome appearance. Okay? It's like he's young and he's kind of scrappy looking, but he's not. He's, he's got some handsome qualities to him. Okay? The Philistine said, said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. And the Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. Here's the, like, there's guys like, uh, I think it was Andy Stanley who memorized this speech. Tim or, or John Piper, I, I can't remember who it was, but one of them talked about when they heard this speech, might have even been Louis Giglio, I don't know, but it's some preacher I listened to, he talked about it in his youth memorizing this speech because it was like, yes, like this is to pump me up, like God's going to win, Here, you know, this gets me fired up. This is when I come against things kind of speech. And it's, it's just, it's very powerful, okay? So he says, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. 
And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all the assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Now notice how he says that. The battle is the Lord's. Like he's even giving you some hints here about how this goes, that it's, it's not about us. Okay, It's not about me. It's not about you. Such a s- simple concept, right? Like in the grand scheme of things, in this God that exists, that rules over everything, made everything, has this story that, that is going on. He created everything, so he knows how everything's going to go. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. And, and so anything that's going to happen, it's, it's his story. And we just get to be a part of his story and play a part in his story. So it's not about us. Okay, just to wake everybody up a little bit, just look at your neighbor and say it's not about you. Okay? Some of you enjoyed that too much. Okay? Some of you are like, can I just walk around the room and tell people that? Okay. okay. Look at the neighbor on the other side and say it's not about me. That might help you a little bit. Okay? Okay. See, the story, the story we're reading here, if you remember what we've talked about all through this, that there's this thread that runs through the Bible, there's this theme, even from Genesis on, there's a central character. This, this is it's all about Jesus. Okay? It's all about Jesus. And so the hero in this story doesn't represent you. It represents Jesus. Okay? That's the, that's the theme here. Okay? And the giant represents sin. Okay? And guess who you are? You're the soldier cowering in the tent, not able to do anything about your sin that you're facing. But Jesus, he's out there, he can do something about it. Okay? Jesus is the Savior. And you and I are are not able to do anything. Okay? It's all about Jesus. And that is the problem when you approach the Bible any other way and make it about yourself. You end up with a little messed up theology. You know, because we start playing that game of if it's about me, then I can approach the Bible and say, well, you know, my morality, since it's about me, will dictate my theology rather than theology dictating my morality and how I should behave and act and how I should think about God. If we start with us, we get it messed up. We've got to start with Him. Okay? And so the gospel is being displayed here because it's all through the Bible, and it's what the parallel is. There's a Messiah coming, and David's faith is not in himself to take care of this problem. It's a faith in God. It's the Lord who is over the problem. It doesn't mean we don't do anything about our problems. You know, we've talked about this before. It's not sit back and just go, I'm just trusting God's going to take care of it. No, you need to get a job, okay? If you've got financial problems and you're not working and, and you're just like, I'm just trusting the Lord to take care of it, and you just sit at home, okay, you can easily go to the Bible and, say, and it says that we should work. If we're able to work, it says we should work and not, 
you know, that whole don't work, don't eat, but there's another place where it says we're not only to make enough for ourselves, but we should make enough to help other people who can't help themselves. Okay? So we we have to we have pounded it into your head, hopefully, the past however many weeks, that it's faith in God that leads to obedience. Faith without works is dead. We explained all that and how so many people want to claim that they're Christians, but there's no forward movement in their spiritual life. There's no obedience. There's no following what the Bible says. Stop calling yourself a Christian. Faith results in obedience that, that it may be struggling, crawling, fall back, a step, two steps forward, three back, four forward. It's a it, but there's forward momentum, forward motion in a Christian's life who's who has faith. It leads to obedience that sees the mighty hand of God work. But the faith is not in ourselves or our ability. It's in the Lord. He is what it's about. And if we think we are David in the story, then the question that I like that Matt Chandler posed, okay, he would pose this question, his little three-minute video. Uh, posted actually about the gospel project is the curriculum we use in the back. <clears throat> but this is very relevant. He said, if you're David, then what happens when the stone misses? What happens when you throw all your stones and all of them miss? What happens when with all your effort and all your might and all your power, the giant doesn't fall. Then you end up with guilt and shame and disappointment and frustration and where's God at now and why did he do this to me and this whole faith in him doesn't work and, and you see the problems that we get into when we think it's us. How could God betray me like this? That's that humanism that we've talked about, especially last week, that wants to make everything about us. Colossians refers to this kind of um, thing in the story of what we see with David as a, as a shadow of what was to come in Christ. When we read this story, we need to see that Jesus is the one who saves us from the giant of sin and death. And when we do, then we're free to worship Jesus and see that he's the one that we need to celebrate and we give all the glory to him. When we see David as Jesus, then we get excited and go, yes, I love my Savior. He is awesome. He is wonderful. All glory to him instead of, now that's me in the story and I just overcame that giant. It's why we have been using the Gospel Project curriculum with the kids in the back. So you know, I don't know if y'all grasp this, but we don't just babysit kids back there in the back. Okay, It's not just child care. They're being taught stuff. And hopefully that doesn't freak you out. Okay, we're, we're teaching them these kind of concepts that Jesus is all through the Bible and it's all about Him. And that's the theme of the Gospel Project, that you can see that, that thread all the way through it. And they're learning and being taught from zero year to 11 years old. Well, maybe not from zero, okay, but you know what I mean. But the, but the Gospel Project shows this theme all through the Bible and it's not about us, it's about Him. It teaches the kids to have uh, this perspective of God that He's worth worshiping. He's 
amazing how great he is and that he has a plan for them in the story. But then you have this turnaround in the story where David becomes king. Okay, from that moment, this great faith in God and he takes care of things to him becoming king and he gets to this place where Saul turns against David. Saul was the king at that time when he takes down Goliath. And, you know, David's been told and people are hearing that David's going to be king next. And so Saul gets very jealous. Saul turns against David. Even right after that battle, if you read the story, people are celebrating in the streets that they've just they took down Goliath and we've just we just won against the Philistines. And uh, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And it says Saul hears that, that they're boasting more about David than him, and he got very put out by David and turned on him. But David never harms Saul out of respect for, that's who God has as king right now, so it's not for me to take him out and do anything to him. God takes care of that. God decides who the king is, and even though I could kill him right now, I have the advantage. He doesn't. David marries Saul's daughter, Jonathan, who is Saul's son, becomes his best friend and helps him stay clear of danger, warns him when his dad's coming after him. And Samuel dies. And again, David has the chance to kill Saul and doesn't. David kills the, uh, defeats the Amalekites. Saul and his son are slain by the Philistines later on in this story. And at that point, we end up in the second book of Samuel. Okay, so David becomes king just as God said. Just as Samuel told Jesse, David moves the ark to Jerusalem. He starts making plans to build the temple. This guy dies moving the ark, if you know that part of the story. And you've got David dancing in his underwear in front of the ark. And uh, Saul's daughter gets mad and despises him for it and has words with him over it. And you think the Bible is boring, you should read it. Okay. So David plans to build the temple. And then you get to 2 Samuel 11, and the bottom kind of falls out of the story. Like, what in the world just happened? Like, where did this come from from this guy? Okay? Just keep in mind, we'll address this in a minute. It's, It's a man after God's own heart. And he does this. God would refer to him that way. 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. Then it happened in the spring, at the time when the kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants and him and and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Okay? So all the rest of his leaders and chiefs and generals go out to battle, and he stays at home. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked out on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her. Notice, not asking. Not just like, hey, you want to come over for dinner? Not not anything kind of... He took her. He's the king. And when she came to him, he lay with her, and when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. Notice how that's referred to. This says the woman conceived, and she sent 
and told David and said, I am pregnant. So then David sends for her husband. She's married. Uriah, her husband, is off the battle, right? So he's like, oh no, I've got, I've got to cover this up, fix this. I've got to do something real quick or, or this is going to be a mess for me. Um, one sin leads to another and I've got to use this sin to cover up this sin. And so I'm going to call for Uriah, get him to come home, get him to sleep with his wife and have sex with her so that, they'll, so that he'll think it's her, that's his baby and I'll, I'll be clear. Right? But if you know the story, it doesn't work, right? Uriah is this, just this dedicated, honorable guy, amazing character who says, you know what, how in the world can I go home and be comfortable and stay in my home and, and be with my wife when my fellow Israelites are out, off in battle dying? Some of those people are relatives. Some of those people are my neighbors. And I'm going to go home and sleep in my bed with my wife and eat that good food and just act like nothing's going on over there. And so Uriah couldn't do it. He actually sleeps outside the house at one point. He just will not even go there. So it doesn't work, okay? And if you think about it, here's Uriah's thinking. He's all about the people and the kingdom and serving the king while the king's done this to him back home. And so then David sets Uriah up to, to be murdered so that then David could marry her real quick and make it seem like the child was legit, right? So David sets him up to be murdered. It happens and it goes that way. Then the sin piles up and God sends a prophet, Nathan, to David to talk to him. 2 Samuel 11, verse 27. When the time of mourning was over, over Uriah's death, okay, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife. Then she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay, and we automatically... There's something in us right now, right, that just goes, how could this guy do this? How awful is he, right? You feel that? I feel that. Do y'all feel that, right? Within us is that thing that says, man, he's, a t he's terrible. How could he do those things, right? Now, I remember one of the things early on that, that Rocky taught me that, uh, as a young pastor was he would often say, we're all just one decision away from the worst in us. We all have to be careful. But yet we look at him. Now we'll, and, and we just look at him and go, hey, because you know what? Because I'm a good person. I'm not a bad person like that. I've never murdered anybody. Okay? Not that y'all know about. Okay? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay? Just make sure you're awake. It's, I've never killed anybody. I've never, I've never committed adultery like this i've never done these kind of things done, done stuff like this like he has i've never done that i've done other things that aren't as bad as that right because i'm a good person okay that's something i hear often especially when you do 
visits with people, even hospital visits, and you ask about the spiritual condition of a loved one that's laying there in the bed, and you'll often hear from somebody, they're a good person. Right? Nothing like this. And so what Nathan does when he comes to David is he kind of lures him into this parable. He says, let me tell you the story of let me tell you about a guy in town who's done something. And he just he, he says, there's this guy, and he's, he's done this really terrible thing and treated this poor person terribly, right? And the story, which Nathan's telling, is really just a parallel parable about David trying to, trying to hook David in and get David to see that it's him, which he eventually does, but trying to get him to see himself in the story and Nathan acts like it's about somebody else, and it tricks David into condemning the actions of this man in the story. He's like, whoever that is needs to be just pay for it. He needs to be judged, and he needs to pay for it four times over, or to just just kill this guy. It just he 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 deserves nothing. He's just it's like he's like that guy in that story is awful. Doesn't seem like David's going to get it. And Nathan finally looks at David after David condemns the man in the story that Nathan made up, and he says, David, that man in the story is you. You are that man. And that, it's it, it just, at one point he asks him, he, he says, why? Have you despised the word of the Lord? And David just falls apart. He just, he just falls apart. Second Samuel 12, verses 13 and 14. Then David said to Nathan, he, he gets the story, he's like, oh my gosh, that's me. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin you shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall, shall surely die. You hear what he says to him? It, it, David admits he's done wrong and what he's done. And Nathan says to David, your sin is taken away from you. You're not going to die. You're not. Just sin gone. Does that seem fair? Does, it be, does that seem fair to you? Just like that, Bathsheba is raped. Uriah murdered. And this baby's going to die. But David, God's going to take your sin away, right? Doesn't seem fair. But here's where we got to look at the story and understand we should be glad that that forgiveness is there. Okay? We should be glad that it goes that, that way for David. Okay? People around here, like I said, it's, it's, there's this thinking that permeates in our country, but especially in East Tennessee, because it's, it's good old country folk. And we're just honest, hard-working, good people. 
right? Take care of our neighbors, right? You need a cup of sugar, you just come over and get a cup of sugar, right? Because we're good people. We take care of each other. And there's this mentality that just says, because I'm a good person, I'm okay. That I don't, I don't have this kind of sin. I have the kind of sin that you pray a prayer and then you're just going about your life and you're good. That's okay. You just pray a prayer, walk an aisle, get baptized, join a church, and, and then just continue on doing life like everybody else does. But hey, you're good. There, there's, there's not any struggle after, after that. You've just got a peace that you're going to heaven, right? You've got your ticket to ride and you're okay. I'm a good person, so God owes me forgiveness. That's what we think, right? How in the world could God send a good person to hell? How, how is that? That's what we think. That, that wouldn't be nice. That wouldn't be good. That wouldn't be just. And, and yes, God can forgive, right? Far more than we can imagine. Far more than... We want Him to unless it's us, right? But it's not because you're not so bad and David really is in this text, right? And therefore, how can God just turn a blind eye to His sin since it's so much worse than I think about mine, okay? Listen, think about that in light of, of Romans 3. Listen to Romans 3, 21 through 30, okay? But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And even the righteousness of God through what? Faith in, Christ, in Jesus Christ. It's talking about the law and the prophets and the, even, even all that, Okay? is through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. It's all about Jesus, right? It's, it's in Him. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation, a substitute, in His blood... The blood paid for that sin through what? Faith. By grace alone, and faith alone, and Christ alone, right? This way to demonstrate, this was to demonstrate his righteousness. It's not that he's unfair because he doesn't punish David. This is to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time. Saying that passing over that back then of those people who looked forward to Christ by faith, doing that, right, demonstrated his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has what? Faith in Jesus. Where then is, is boasting? It's excluded because it's not about us. He's both just and the justifier. 
Boasting's excluded. It's all him. By what kind of law, of works? No, but by a law of faith. Okay? For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Okay, are you getting this? There's absolutely nothing you can do to save yourself and have salvation. It is a free gift of grace from God no matter what you've done. Your sin is not more powerful than God and His saving grace, what He did on the cross. The sin that came through Adam, that seed of sin, Adam is not more powerful than Jesus. I don't care what you've done, Man can't trump Jesus, okay? So if we put our faith, our trust in Him, which is evidenced by our obedience and and following Him and obeying Him, it's just, if we just put our faith in Him, it's a free gift, it's grace, it, it just wipes all that away. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? This is great news for us, because I don't know if any of you guys are Jewish in here. Okay, It's great for all of us, regardless where you are. Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised by faith, not by circumcision or following the law, okay, And the uncircumcised through faith is one. It's faith. It's just all faith in Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, if you're wherever you come from, whoever you are, whatever your background is, whoever your parents were, none of that matters. It's all faith in Christ. God looks at your faith and David's faith and forgives as he justified you and him through Christ. Justifies us the same way as David. David the same way as us. As David looked to the coming Christ, and we look back to the crucified Christ, resurrected from the dead, it's both faith in Christ and the horrible death of Jesus is enough to cover all the horrible sins of all of us. Even the murderer, even the adulterer, the rapist, the liar, the thief, the envious, the proud, whatever. Okay? And when that happens, when we are forgiven even the worst of sins, how powerful is it? And then through faith we are obedient and God uses us to do His work in the world. That's the most amazing thing. It's not that I prayed a prayer and it's just all coasting from here. Right? I prayed that prayer and now it's coasting spiritually. No struggling, no wrestling with my faith, no wrestling with the truth and the the Scripture and what God says, how He says things should be. It's not like that's the way it is. There's no doubts, no clawing forward. Just doing life like everybody else, but I just have that security of the believer that I prayed that prayer and I'm going to heaven. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. If you know me, you know I I cannot get more passionate and say it often enough because one of the reasons we started this church is because there's so many people sitting in churches thinking they're okay and they're not. Okay? 
They have this false sense of security that they're saved, but there is absolutely no to little evidence in their life that they actually have any fruit of the Spirit, that they're actually being obedient to God, that they're actually moving forward spiritually, and they think they're okay because they prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, got baptized, joined the church, whatever. I taught in VBS one time, so I must be doing okay, right? Or whatever it is, whatever you... It's faith that results in obedience. So there's even places you come to the Scripture and you go, I don't really like that. Okay, well, you'll just have to get over it because you're not God, right? Like He is. And so I go, you know what? If He made everything and He says that's the way it's supposed to be, He's holy, I'm not. My head's messed up. I'm limited. He's unlimited. All that unlimited don't fit in limited. So there's things I'm not going to understand. The secret things belong to God is what Scripture tells us. And there's some things we just won't ever understand. But I go, if He's God and my faith is in Him, then I just trust Him. And regardless of how I feel about it, because our hearts are deceitful above all things and beyond repair, like it can't be fixed, so we can't trust our hearts, okay? Because often we go, well, this feels right, or this don't, this feels it. Our feelings are all messed up, okay? We have to put our faith in the truth of Scripture and go, if he says that, that's the truth. And even if I don't like it, even if I don't feel like doing it, because there's times I don't even feel like coming here and preaching. Okay, there's times I get up in the, well, I didn't even get up this morning, really. Okay, I was up all night, mostly. I get tired and you're like, don't even really want to do it sometimes. Not this morning, I'm good, okay. But anyway, it's just like, it doesn't matter how you feel. There's times that you're just, you be faithful because God is faithful and you just do what he says you're supposed to do and the results are up to him, okay. But it's not just living like everybody else and in the end you're going to heaven. It doesn't work that way. It's a, it's a daily battle. Okay. If you start following the Lord wholeheartedly, faith in Him, it's a daily battle even in faith. Daily, ba- daily forgiveness. We have to die to ourselves daily. Daily watching our behavior. We want to walk in a way that's worthy of the gospel. We've got to watch our words, daily dying to self, daily needing Jesus, daily needing grace and mercy. We sin as born-again believers. And yes, it's forgiven. Okay? Past, present, and future taken care of on the cross by Jesus. But it doesn't mean that we're not supposed to worry about our sin We're supposed to hate our sin. We're supposed to have anguish over our sin when we see that we sin, when when that's brought to our attention. It's not that we don't worry about our sin anymore. It's not that we don't have to ask God for forgiveness daily. Okay, this is a big question that gets asked a lot. And, And I love John Piper. He says this. It says, if you aren't a born again, if you aren't born again, then you're probably not too worked up about your sin. That's pretty tough. You just think about that a while, okay? If you aren't born again, then you're probably not worked up about your sin. So many think we don't have to ask forgiveness because I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb and He's cleansed me and made me white as snow. I'm good, paid for by Jesus, already forgiven, so I don't need to ask for forgiveness when I sin. But yes, we do. 
We do. Okay? This is so strong. This is in, this was in that same paragraph of, of what John Piper says, and so don't quote me on this. Give this credit to him. This is absolutely amazing. Okay? The cross is not the reason we don't ask. The cross is the basis of our confidence that the answer will be yes. Do you get that? Daily. It's not, the cross is not the reason we don't need to ask. The cross is the reason we can go to him and ask and know he's going to say yes. Every day. Every day. So I want to close this way by just reading Psalm 51, and there's a huge reason why. Okay? Psalm 51 expresses this, what he's talking about, and gives the ultimate result of that. When we get worked up over our sin, when we go, oh my gosh, look what I just did. Look, look what I said to that person. Look how, look at that attitude in me. Look, at, I just told a lie. I just, I did something I shouldn't have done. I took advantage of that. I, man, I, that was pride coming out of me. As little as we think it is, as little as we think it is. It should break us when we see that it's sin, when we know it's wrong and it hurts the heart of God because sin does that. This, this gives the ultimate result of that worked up over our sin and, and, and we, we do this thing of when, when it's ourselves, we, we're really good at making our sin seems small. When it's me, when it's me, I'm good at going. Hey, I mean, come on, I made a mistake, no big deal, my bad, right? Right. But when it's others, oh my gosh, did you know so and so did this? Now we've not just gone after the speck in somebody else's eye. When we've got a beam in ours, we've gossiped and it's gone even further okay and we need to see our own sin in a way that we react like psalm 51 says we are so wired to defend ourselves justify ourselves and yet david that this psalm was written about what just happened to him david goes totally the other way it's why he's referred to as a man after god's own heart because he never stopped pursuing the heart of God. He, he never stopped. It, when he confronted by his sin, still went after God. Broken by it, went after God. We justify ourselves. David goes the other way. Does your sin break you like this talks about is the question. Or do we just skip over it and make it seem small? Why Psalm 51? All you got to do is read the heading in your Bible. It tells you why that's there. It says, for the choir director. We know Psalm wrote, David wrote a bunch of psalms. He played the harp. Saul used to love it when he would play the harp. Okay, Saul would, God, at one point it says God gave Saul an evil spirit. And when they'd get all worked up with that evil spirit, he'd call David in to play the harp and the evil spirit would go. Okay, Exorcism by harp, I guess what that is. I don't know. Okay. It says, for the choir director, a psalm of David, worship song of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him 
after he had gone into Bathsheba. You're getting to hear. This is actual writing of an event that actually happened that is history and what the guy expressed in a song right after that. Okay? After being confronted by that, realizing what he had done. Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Only God can take that away. Against you, listen to this, because this is a big, here's a, here's a theological point that is huge here. Against you, you only, I have sinned. Now, automatically in our minds, we're going, Whoa, wait a minute, baby's dying? What about Uriah? How do you think Bathsheba's mom felt about all this? Okay, Uriah's dad, how did he feel about all this? What, what, about, what about Bathsheba? Did he, what, what's that? Okay, But he says here, against you, you only, to God, I have sinned. Okay, So here's the definition. Because God, is ho- because God is holy, He defines what sin is, and sin is something that's, that's done against God. That's only done against God. We hurt other people. We sin against God. Does that make sense? Since He's holy, I'm not holy. When you do something wrong, it's not sin against me because I'm not holy. Okay? You may hurt me. Okay? It may hurt my feelings. It may... It may hurt me, but it, it's you've sinned against God. Okay. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Do we feel that way about our sin? No matter how, no matter what size we think it is. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in my sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop. Hyssop branch, priest would use that, put blood of a sacrificed animal on it, and cleanse a house with it. That's what that was used for. So he's saying, purify me with hyssop. Be my priest and clean me out. Okay? Make, do Take me through cleansing so that I am clean and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Look at this result of this. When we get really broken, when we see our sin in light of this holy God that we've sinned against Him, if our faith is in Him, we love Him, we trust Him, and we understand the the impact of our sin on us, when, when we are broken over that, you know what happens? When we get cleansed and it turns around and God says, forgiven, I, I'm, I'm forgiving that. 
unmerited grace. Then we can't help but rejoice and go, man, I cannot believe He has forgiven me for that. And that He's made me clean and I've been washed of that. Do you know how awesome that is? How wonderful? And all of a sudden, we, all the attention goes to God. And, and what happens is we start going, hey, Tony, do you know what God did for me? Can you imagine that a God would do this, that, that regardless of what I've done, that this God would forgive me? And we just want to tell people about it. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, let me teach you what this means for you. It says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Not because I'm some perfect person. I'm going, hey, I sinned. And here's what God did for me. I'm not perfect. I'll probably mess up again before the day's over with. But you know what? I have faith in this God that's going to help me claw forward and He's going to make me more and more into this person He wants me to be. But you know what? In the meantime, this side of heaven, I'll never be perfect, so I'm going to mess up. But you know what? There's this God that has grace and mercy and forgives. And He loves you. And you've got to experience this. It's why when we sing these songs and our hearts just overflow with thankfulness to God and we just that's, that's what worship is about. It comes out of that heart of thankfulness. It's not about anything else but Jesus. It says, Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. Remember our story of Jephthah? Okay. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So the question as we as we end this, they're going to come back up and we're going to hopefully, I, I, I hope you can do this, that you can go, in light of my sin, in light of the forgiveness and Jesus as the Savior, I'm in the tent cowering, but yet He has defeated the giant. He is my Savior. I can just look at Him and rejoice and be excited and glad and just praise Him, and I just want to sing to Him and love Him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In light of all that, do you, do you still not feel the weight of your sin? Okay? We've gotten into an era in our churches where nobody wants to make anybody feel bad. We just want to leave all feeling good. We want to preach a prosperity gospel. It's all good. You have enough faith. You'll be healthy, wealthy, all that stuff. And there's not a poverty gospel either, either that says if you just torment yourself enough, then you pay your penance and get to God. It's all faith and grace in Jesus Christ. Okay. And there's times people will sit and and I used to be the kind, when I was early on as a youth pastor, I didn't know what to do. I would just say, oh, no, it's not, you don't have to feel bad. I was there when you prayed a prayer. You're okay. But anymore, you know what's really important for people? To feel the weight of their sin. And there's sometimes we don't need to take away conviction. We don't need to take away guilt. We don't need to take away shame. We need to let that work like it worked on David. And just let that stew for a while to the point that maybe they'll get to the point they'll go, God, forgive me. And then turn that into telling others about him and how he forgave them and start to worship him. See the process? Do you feel the weight of your sin? 
so that if God would have sent you to hell, he would have been justified by that action? Do you feel the weight of it to that point? Or do you just think, oh, that's not fair because I'm a good person? When we see the weight of our sin, then all the more we celebrate and worship Jesus and realize what He did for us, and then we are we become so obedient and just love following Him and doing what He says we should do and, and share our faith with others and serve and do the things God says we should do with gladness. When we, when we understand all that, knowing what we have been given through Jesus. So do you have that kind of outlook because of your sin? That you can be joy-filled upon realizing the weight of your sin? Like how that process works and gets us there after you work through the guilt and anguish over that? So I hope if this morning you understand what it really means to be born again spiritually. Yeah, we're all born physically. We're here, okay? But there's because of that seed of sin from Adam, we're spiritually dead and we need to be spiritually born. That's what the born again is. And that can only happen by placing your faith in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross in your place for your sin so that then you could be restored to Him and, and approach this God that is holy and perfect when we're not. We get, we get Jesus applied to us and God looks at us like He looks at His Son Jesus and goes, you're good. Perfect. You're a saint. You don't look at us as a sinner anymore. So it's easy as today is going along and saying, you know what, I've been going along in my life. Sin doesn't really bother me as far as how God defines it. I don't even live up to my own standards very well. I think people shouldn't do certain things, and every now and then I do that. I, I can't, I just can't live up to all these standards. And I realized today I've been trying to rule my own life, be my own God, worshiping whatever that comes along that makes me feel good. And today I see Jesus and what He has done for me and the truth of who He is. And I feel, I, I, just, I, I just, I feel the weight of my sin. And so I'm turning from my sin and myself and I'm turning to Jesus and putting my faith and my trust in Him. You just do that this morning. You can do it right where you're sitting. You can come up here in a minute and there'll be people over there. Sina will come up here. You can pray with her. I've got to go back there, but I'll even skip the drums if I need to. Be out here with you if you want to pray. Rita's out here. Okay? There's a lot of people sitting here that you can just turn to and say, hey, would you pray with me? Can I talk to you? You need to get that part right. If you get nothing else right in your life, the following Jesus thing, you need to consider that and get that part right, which, which way that's going to go. So let me pray for you this morning, then we'll hopefully you'll be able to worship out of understanding what He's done for you. Father, thank You for today. Thank You for Your Word. How You teach us how you've, you've revealed yourself to us in scriptures, how we, how we can see it's all about Jesus. Father, it's all about your son. And so, may we just be a part of that story. We may, may, may we just embrace that.
Father, I know there's a lot of things people are facing sitting out here this morning. And I just pray you would help them to see that their circumstances may not change, but the giant of their sin can be defeated through your son Jesus and that can bring great joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Father, we love you. We thank you. And I just pray we would worship you in spirit and truth right now. So I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.